Welcome to the Self-Publishing School Podcast. This is the podcast to listen to if you're an aspiring writer or an author who wants to be more successful. On this show, you'll learn how to write and launch a book successfully, all from the top authors and people just like you who are doing it at the highest level. I'm your host, Chandler Volt, the founder of Self-Publishing School, the author of the book called Published, and the CEO of selfpublishing.com. For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Hey everybody, Chandler Bolt here, and joining me today is Ryan Levesque. Uh, now Ryan is the number one national best-selling author of the book, Ask, and in 2008, armed with nothing but a $450 laptop, an Ivy League background in neuroscience of all things, and an insatiable curiosity to understand why people buy. He left a lucrative career on Wall Street and later a career in Shanghai, China, to launch a multi-million dollar online publishing business, selling information and software products using what's now become the Ask Formula as taught in his number one best-selling book, Ask. Now, since then, Ryan has used the Ask Formula to help build a multi-million dollar or a bunch of multi-million dollar businesses in 23 different industries, generating over $100 million in sales and the process. And I'll give you guys some numbers because uh, uh, these numbers are just kind of mind, mind shattering to me, which is that he's generated over 3 million leads, 175,000 customers across 19 different markets. And those numbers are just in the last 23 months. Now, Ryan and I met last September at an event uh, called Titans of Direct Response with Brian Kurtz. And Ryan has kind of a background in copy and direct response. He knows the ins and outs of that, which is a skill in and of itself. And we could have a whole interview on that. But really what we're going to focus on today is his book, Ask. We're going to do a little case study of that and talk about how he launched the book and all that good stuff. And then we'll really dive into the monetizing portion. So how he's using the book to get people into the survey funnel and the different backend products off of that. So with that said, Ryan, great to have you here, man. Chandler, my man, I've been looking forward to this all day and I'm thrilled to be here. Right on. Well, let's, let's take it back. And, I, and I'm curious, you know, a lot of people would look at all your success and then say, okay, Ryan, why a book? Mm. Why, like, why a book? How does this fit into your big picture strategy and kind of what does this mean for you and for your business? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, in my opinion, everybody, virtually anybody and anybody for sure who's in what I call the advice giving business which is any sort of consultation, any or consulting business, any type of information publishing, you need to have a legitimate, real, what I call bookstore book. Not an info product, but a legit book. A book that is on Amazon, it's on barnesandnoble.com, potentially being even sold in bookstores. And the reason to answer your question why I went down that route is I wanted to expand what we are doing to a mainstream audience. There's only a very small number of people online who buy info products as we know them, right? Digital information courses. There are far more people who buy books on Amazon. And so to cast the net wider and to introduce the concepts that we teach in the Ask Formula and the Ask Book uh, to a wider audience, uh, I wanted to put the book out there. We can talk about that in more detail. Yeah, so how, how long is this... Or how long ago did you first have the idea to do the book? And then what did that process kind of look like from idea to creation? Yeah, so it took longer than I expected. This was my first real book. And initially, I'll be honest, my aspirations for the book were to just quickly publish a small, simple little book, something that I could give out as, quote unquote, the best business card you can have. So when I go to conferences, speaking, instead of giving out a business card, I could bring a couple copies of my book. That was like my initial idea. And then as I was telling the story behind how I developed the Ask Formula, the story about we started with nothing but $500 in the bank, took that to stories have been written about this in media now, how we make $5 million a year working from home. I say we, my wife and I, how we went through that journey and the lows that we had along the way. And then not only that, but the step-by-step process on how anybody can replicate that and how we've replicated it market after market and how people are using that same formula. I mentioned that to a few people in the industry and they said, Ryan, this has the makings of a bestseller. You have to get this all out there. 
And so it started as maybe the intent on of giving away a portion of the process and the story became quickly an evolution to just giving it all away, putting it all in the book, laying it all on the line and holding nothing back. And I think that holding nothing back, and we can talk about what that means, both on the methodology section of the book where I teach the step-by-step as well as the story section of the book where in some places when you read the book, you'll see I actually get pretty vulnerable, which is super uncomfortable. I get even uncomfortable reading it, but talking about in just full honesty, the struggles that I've had, but laying it out all out there, I think is the biggest reason why the book came out of nowhere to become the the nationally number one best-selling book. Um, USA Today, LA Times, Amazon, Publishers Weekly, and across all these different lists, uh, I think that's the reason why and why people are resonating with. So the big takeaway for anyone who's considering publishing a book is to take this piece of advice that was given to me that I've internalized, and it's if you tell everybody everything you know for free, people will pay you to hear you tell it to them again. And that gets into the whole monetization strategy that I know you want to talk about. But I'll start with that. Got it. And was there a specific event or anything that that sparked that shift from, okay, let's just throw this out there to, all right, let's really put some muscle behind it? Yeah. So in my life personally, the thing that changed everything for me, the spark, so to speak, was about three years ago, I got really, really sick. And I tell this story in the book. I got so sick that I lost a whole bunch of weight. We didn't know what was going on. And I won't go into all the details here, but basically I I fell into a state known as DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis. And my, my, my internal organs were shutting down. My pancreas, my kidneys, and my liver were shutting down. And it wasn't until I had applied for life insurance and was rejected and I got the lab results back that were just off the charts that I found out what was going on. And so it prompted me to go to the doctor. The doctor did lab, took uh, blood again, had uh, blood taken, did lab results, grabbed me by the shoulders after he got the results, looked me in the eye and said, Ryan, you should be in a coma right now. And sent me to the ER. And from the ER, I spent 10 days in the ICU, intensive care on life support. And I came out of that experience basically questioning, what do I want to do with my life? Like if I'm not, I've got a second chance. And what is it that I'm going to leave this world with? Is it just going to be, I'm going to make a ton of money and, you know, do nothing or am I going to make an impact? And I decided that impact and leaving a legacy was more important to me. And as part of that legacy, I wanted to make this contribution to the marketing world to reveal what I consider to be my secret family recipe. The thing that's been responsible for all the wealth that you've heard mentioned, the numbers that you mentioned, and what had previously been only something that I shared with a few select private clients. And beyond that, it was nothing that I'd ever shared with the world. And our good friend, Brian, uh, Brian Kurtz, as you mentioned, you know, he, he, claim, he says the book is the single biggest marketing book, single most important marketing book since Breakthrough Advertising, which for me is like one of the greatest honors I've ever received because that book, it came out in 1966 and it's been a huge uh, influence on me. And that's an honor. And so what's the key takeaway? This is fine. It's great, right? Well, the key takeaway for anybody who's considering publishing a book is there's a temptation to hold back. There's a temptation. You read books and there's so many books out there where it's a tease, right? You get a little bit of information and then it's to get the rest, you need to join my $10,000 high price program. And that seems like the intuitive path to take. What I'm here saying today, the counterintuitive element to all this is give it all away. Put it all in the book. Let the world see your brilliant contribution. And when they do, I will, I'm telling you right now, because I am experiencing it myself, the world will beat a path to your door and they will break down that door wanting to work with you. It's just the way things work. And it's uncomfortable to lay it all out there, to give everything away. But so far, that's been the current, the theme toward monetizing, putting that book out there. And I'm happy to talk in specifics and more details about that. Absolutely. I I love that, man. And I love that story. And I'd actually never heard that story uh, either. But uh, I had a similar thing happen with me. uh, And it was last year, uh, 
so not even a full year passed since then, but I had my buddy, um, Kendall, we were on a cruise for a company we used to work with and um, we were on this cruise and in a tragic accident, um, he, he had a, he took a fall and, and died like on, on the cruise. Um, and, and that's like this bracelet you see here is like, you see, it says make, make him proud. Like that, that was that moment for me. Right. Like it, it shakes you up and, and kind of just, rocks you to your core to the point where you you look at life and you say hey what is what i'm doing really matter does it really matter and is it making a difference right. and that's when i was at a point where maybe even like you were at that time where i was getting burnt out with self-publishing school and you kind of get down in the weeds and and you're just in there fighting the good fight but it doesn't seem like a good fight at the time <laughs> you know you're just in there um and that really rocked everything and, and changed everything for, for me. And then, you know, we released book launch a few months later and it was the same, same principle, right? Like we put everything in there. Mm. It was self-publishing school at a 10,000 foot view. Mm. And then the cool thing that's happened because of that is people email and send stuff all the time where they've gone through the whole process, wrote market launch, published a book, and they haven't even joined our program. That's I think awesome. just like, I'm sure people email you all the time about ask. Sure. And, that formula so that's awesome you yep. love that but let's dive into a little bit more of the marketing side so sure. you've got the book written you had this epiphany you know you you lay it out and instead of just having a short book it's it's became the book and i'm sure there's a lot more attachment to that now mm. so you're going to put a lot of muscle into it so yeah. what kind of things did you guys do on the marketing end both pre-launch and during launch to push that book yeah, that's a great question. So, and we did a lot of pre-launch because we wanted to launch it with a bang. Uh, we wanted to launch it with the intent of trying to sell enough copies, do enough pre-orders that we could be considered to be on some of these bestseller lists. And, um, you know, ultimately our goal is I wanted to be, my aspirations went from having the best business card to uh, getting on the New York Times bestseller list. And ultimately, I, we came very close. We came very close, but didn't quite hit that list. We're in, uh, I'm in a uh, very competitive category, which is the how-to category. And unfortunately, the way the New York Times list works, which is different from some of the other lists, is they have a specific category for how-to and advice that's different from business. Had we been categorized as a business book, we could have potentially been a number one bestseller. But in the how-to advice books, you're also alongside the weight loss books, the health books, the juicing books, the personal organization, decluttering. All of those books are in the personal advice. And our book at its core, the core audience is business owners. So when you're, go, when you're competing head to head against a, a book where anybody who wants to lose weight, right? Call it, you know, 100 million Americans versus business owners, call it, you know, a million Americans. It's really tricky to compete. So ultimately, we didn't hit it, but we hit every other list except for, except for that one. And so we wanted to put a lot of muscle behind the uh, launch of the book. So how did we do that? Well, first and foremost, our number one traffic source was cold traffic, believe it or not. So we sent people to a uh, page to pre-order the, the book. And these were people that were um, not in my world. Uh, we didn't have a huge list to pre-launch this to. So my business, the way it had evolved, was from a small private client practice where I'd implemented this formula for a handful of businesses and has evolved into what we are today, which is a information publishing and training business, where we do now have a list with tens of thousands of people on it. But at the time, we didn't. We only had a few thousand people on our list. And so we launched it to our internal list, and we got a, you know, thousands of pre-orders that way. Um, we took it to cold traffic. And then we also uh, had a handful of partners who were kind enough to support the launch and promoted it to their audience as well. And for us, we didn't have uh, at the time, because we were so rushing to get this out with so many things. If anyone's done a book before, you know, there's like, you know, I had a launch date of, of January 1, 2015. We launched on April 21st. So we only missed it by like five months. That's <laughs> Um, you know, so, uh, and that was like firing on all cylinders, trying to, you know, make this thing go. Um, and even with that, we didn't have, um, our initial backend in order in, in a way that I felt comfortable. So with partners, we didn't have, there's no affiliate commission. There was nothing to split. It was just covering the, you know, the, the shipping costs of the book, which, which helped 
um, cover our costs to, to, to ship people um, a copy of the book. So we had to promote the book as just being amazing, to be part of a book that's going to be one of the best business books of 2015. And so I had to really sell people on the idea that this is going to be a transformational book. And uh, it's not going to be just yet another uh, book. So the takeaway there, again, is if you create an amazing product, you have a lot more firepower uh, that you can use to recruit partners with you to, to help get your message out. Got it. And so can you dive in? You said the number one source was cold traffic. You want to dive in a little bit more on that? and what Yeah. You and so that? we did a lot of Facebook advertising. Um, we did uh, LinkedIn advertising as well. Um, we did a few, uh, you know, the meaningful sources would be LinkedIn and Facebook. We did a few other things that we tested that didn't get a ton of results, um, like paid email drops and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, at, at our peak, we were doing as much as uh, 300 to 330 um, orders a day pre-launch um, at, at the peak. And we we're putting a lot of uh, firepower behind that. Um, then it was the uh, challenge of, of, um, of uh, people waiting to receive their book, right? Because someone, uh, and this is just a great lesson that I learned, if you do a, a pre-launch like this, um, you know, people are excited to get your book. And so if you're selling copies of the book in February and you only launch it in April, um, you're going to have people reaching out to you saying, where's my book? Where's my book? I, you know, I want it. Even if you're clear and you communicate uh, regularly about the uh, launch date. And so that's something to be mindful of. Be prepared for that. Some, most people are going to be completely understanding about it and they're going to recognize, oh yeah, I remember you said you're going to be launching this book in April. I totally get it. Other people are going to forget that little detail and, you know, they might not be as nice to your customer service people, but that's something that I wasn't prepared for is the volume of people who are going to write in and say, where's my book? I ordered it in February and kindly reminding them. Yes. But as you'll remember, you ordered a pre-release copy, you know, the book's being launched in such and such a date and all that good stuff. So um, the lesson there is you probably want to consider over communicating that um, fact if you decide to do a pre-launch. Got it. And so most of these, most of these Facebook ad, LinkedIn ads, was it like, what was the copy in those ads? Was it driven towards the free plus shipping book? Was it, what was the, that copy targeted at? Yeah. So um, I was fortunate enough to get some uh, pre-review um, blurbs, um, pre-review, um, excuse me, pre-release reviews uh, from the book. And so we leaned on some of the great things that people have said. So um, you know, we have people like Perry Marshall, who's a client, um, people like Jeff Walker, who's a number one New York Times bestselling book uh, author, um, people like Brian Kurtz, our friend Brian. So people that have uh, are known in the marketplace were kind enough to say great things about the book, about uh, the work that they've done with me. And so we leaned on that. Right. So we leaned on the testimonials that we had um, about uh, the book itself. Um, then, you know, the book has a great story. I mean, you, you told the story. We started with nothing but a $450 laptop and an internet connection. Started this business. My wife was in grad school. She was getting her PhD in student housing in Hong Kong, of all places, in a tiny little apartment. We started this little business with nothing, literally just nothing. And we took the business to make about $10,000 a month. The first market we went into crashed. Um, so we were left with nothing. And we, my wife and I looked at each other and said, what are we going to do? And she said, I'll get a job. And she got a job as a museum curator in Texas, making $36,000 a year. We moved back to the United States and I launched our second business. And that's where we hit pay dirt. And I think people resonate with the story of how we lived in Brownsville, Texas, which is on the border of uh, Texas and Mexico, one of the poorest zip codes in the country. We had the cheapest apartment we could find that did not have bars on the windows. We had a mattress on the floor. Our only furniture uh, in the uh, living room was two pieces of uh, uh, two uh, lawn chairs that we got as the free gift when we opened up our business bank account. That was it. Like that was our furniture. Two of those collapsible lawn chairs that people bring to their kids' soccer games. That's it. A mattress on the floor and that. And I drive my wife to work. We had one car. It's all we could afford. I drive my wife to work, drop her off, go home, work my butt off, go pick her up at night. We come home, eat a quick dinner, and we do second shift and work in the business. 
We took that business from nothing to $25,000 a month in 18 months. And at that point, my wife was confident enough to quit her job. She came, worked in the business with me full time. So she was kind of like the first, I was the first employee. She was the second employee. And we moved to Austin. This is in about uh, 2008, 2009. And uh, haven't looked back ever since. But I think having a great story like that and telling that in your copy, that people are excited. How did you do it? How did you go from $500 in the bank to making $5 million a year and going into all these different markets. So I think if you have a good story, and so how do you figure out if you have a good story? How do you, uh, how do you practice that? Talk to people, right? Have conversations, tell your story to people that you meet at conferences, at events. And if people kind of, their eyes glaze over and they say, oh, whatever, then you know you need to work on your pitch. But if you have people at the edge of their seat and their only question is tell me more, then you know you're onto something. So you can practice that copy by doing exactly that. And so to answer your question, what was the copy on the page? It represented the best of the best of all those conversations I'd had with people telling them the story where they said, tell me more. And that was a starting point. Got it. And so you got Facebook ads, LinkedIn ads, you've got um, affiliates and other people supporting the launch. Mm -hmm. um, you've got email blast um, to a small internal list at the time. Yep. Um, and then also to other like paid blasts and stuff like that. What else? What, what other kind of stuff did you guys do for the pre-launch? Oh um, yeah. I left out like a huge one. Um, I'm an idiot uh, for, for forgetting this. Um, did a lot of podcasts a lot of podcast interviews. I think to date, I've probably done somewhere between 120 and 150 podcast interviews. It's, it's north of 100 because um, we took a tally a couple uh, months ago. And so done a lot of podcasts. And each podcast, you know, generates a handful of, uh, of book sales, right? You talk about doing exactly what we're doing now, telling the story of your book, um, making it you know, what's in it for the reader, giving away nuggets, a preview of what's covered in the book, getting people excited about it where they want to pre-order. Um, and so that was another uh, big traffic source for us. And it was, you know, a hand, just like anything, a handful of big shows generated, you know, a bunch of orders, but it was the volume of interviews. Um, and like I said, I've done close to 150 now, and I think we did about 80 uh, it wasn't quite a hundred, but about 80 before launching the book. And so I was, I have days when I do like five podcast interviews in a single day. So, um, so I'm an idiot. I'm glad you like asked the question because I completely forgot about that, but that was another really big piece of the puzzle. And how did you get most of those interviews? Were you reaching out? Was there a system or a process you use for that? Yeah. So I have, um, uh, someone on my team who's in that space and that is her job. So her job is to pitch uh, various podcasts and uh, get me booked. And so it's no different than in the, and we also have a publicist as well. So it's no different than in the PR world, you have someone that's pitching your story to media outlets. And so there are people who specialize in, in doing this sort of thing. And so um, if you're not comfortable or you don't have the connections or you don't have the skills to do this, that's an option. Um, the other piece of advice that I would uh, give here, uh, even if you don't have the budget or the means to, to bring someone on your team to do that, is this concept that I talk about called laddering up. And so in media, what's really interesting is that there's this kind of chicken and egg thing. It's like nobody wants to book you on their show until you've done a show. Um, so it's like, where do you start? So you have to be comfortable kind of um, putting your ego aside and being ready to start at the bottom. And what happens is in media, and this happened in mainstream media, because I've, uh, I've done a bunch of radio, I've been on uh, the number one radio station in the country, the LA, New York City, Washington DC, San Francisco, all the top markets in the country, I've done a ton of radio, but you don't get on the number one, like um, uh, KCBS or WCBS, which is the number one station in New York, you don't get on WCBS as your first stop. You get on uh, an AM station in Minneapolis, which is also, a, it's like a top 20 market, so that's not even a great example. But you know, some local market that ladders up to a market slightly bigger, that ladders up to the market. That's what happens in the podcast world. So you're not gonna get on the number one business podcast as your first run out of the gate, unless, you're, you, know, uh, unless you have a previous track record, right? Um, uh, if you're new, you gotta be comfortable starting with someone that maybe has a really small audience, but that gives you your start. And then from there, 
the person who's number 500 on the rankings, they might be paying attention to numbers 495 to 505, everyone around them, right? So they're checking, oh, so-and-so had you know, you know, uh, Chandler as a, as a guest. Maybe we should have Chandler as a guest. And so that's how you ladder up. And then you quickly make it through the ranks. And so that was the process that we found. It took a while to kind of crack the top 10 podcasts in, in my category, which is business. Um, uh, and it was really that laddering up process that got us there. Love that. And I think that's great advice for people who maybe are, don't have an audience. They don't have name recognition or they've never even been on a podcast. It's great advice because you can start somewhere. And then, yeah, I've, I've seen this happen with us as well. Like, and even just with, with this interview, right? Like we started to get some traction, you know, more and more people, more and more people like, and then, then it's to, to the, you can get to the point where like, Hey, everyone else is on this. Like, right. Are you going to do it or what? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then you come from a lot more position of power, but you yeah. have to start somewhere. Hey, Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right, so if you've learned something, we want to help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team. We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement. So let's, let's, let's move on from that and move into launch phase mm. um, and give us a little bit of insight into that. What was that process like launch week? Did it, did it fire start strong? Was it kind of you know, what were, what were some of the things you did during that launch week um, and the little bit of time after, and then also kind of what were the sales like and what did that curve look like? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So, um, you know, in, you've got a couple of decisions, right. As an author, so you can self publish, um, you can work with a, like a, a vanity press, you can, um, you know, work with a traditional publisher. So I, I decided to work with a traditional publishing company. And so in terms of the coordination of the launch, we'd accumulated a number of pre-launch orders for the book. And so then it's really just a big processing job. All these people have ordered the book and now it's a matter of getting out these orders as quickly as possible. So we launched, um, you know, the first list that we hit, I think was we hit um, number three on Amazon overall. And I was, wow, this is awesome. Number three. And I, and the books that we were competing against for number one were really big deal books. And, uh, like I know people like Jeff Walker never hit number one on Amazon overall. I'm talking like all categories, not just in a, in a small little category across all books, especially if you publish a nonfiction book, because fiction books tend to sell so much more. So, you know, when you're going head to head with like Stephen King, good luck. Um, and then I remember that night I was sitting at my counter. Um, in our kitchen. And I sometimes work on the counter watching the kids and um, just kind of being in the kitchen and I'm refreshing Amazon and I hit refresh and I don't see the book. I'm like, oh man, we already dropped. And I look up, I'm like, oh crap, we hit number one. And like, in a, like instantly I'm like, oh my gosh, what if this lasts like two seconds? Cause Amazon rankings, it's constantly fluctuating. Um, I took a screen capture right away. And I was so excited. And uh, it turned out that we, we held the number one spot for a little over a day. Um, and then uh, we had another big push, a second round of books that came through in our second week. And we uh, hit number two um, in our second week, over, Amazon overall. Um, and then we hit uh, Barnes & Noble number one, all categories again. And then from there, the traditional, those rankings are instant, right? Because that's just based on like your, your sales. And then, um, and then the other lists come out about, uh, some of them come out like a week later. So they'll tally like the previous week's results. And that's when we knew um, Nielsen, who publishes uh, the book scan ratings, Nielsen's like the official count. Um, that's when I found that we, we hit number one nonfiction uh, overall in the country across all categories, um, uh, which was a really big deal. Um, so that was pretty exciting. And then 
then it comes all these other lists, you know, the Seattle list and San Francisco list, LA times, like all the, you know, the lists kind of follow suit from there. Um, so, uh, that was launch. It was really just hitting list after list, which was really exciting. Um, and that kind of fuels the fire, which is great. Cause it's sort of like a, you know, once you hit the top of the list, people start recognizing you, they pay attention. So you hit this jet stream. Um, so that's great. And then, um, after the first, I think maybe two or three weeks of launch, sales start to slow, right? Naturally. And so we hovered at one of, we were in the top thousand books, uh, for a while for a, basically a month after we launched, we were in the top, which is a great sign. When you, when you drop like a rock, it usually means that your book wasn't great. Um, you get a bunch of pre-orders, people read it and they're like, mm. um, uh, so I was like super nervous. Right? I'm like, oh crap. Like you got a bunch of, and you're like on pins and needles. Like what if people hate the book? Like what if they don't like it? And you're just like waiting for like, you know, one star reviews, uh, you know, freaking out on that. Um, and uh, today we've only gotten one, one, one star review is just, you know, from a crazy person, um, uh, who had like, you know, reviewed like 50 products and like 43 of them were like one and two star reviews, you know, type, type person. Um, so in, in, I think now we have about 220 five star reviews. And so it's, uh, um, uh, it's been w really well received. And so, uh, we were at like a thousand for, uh, a couple weeks, um, about a month. And then now that we are about six weeks after launch a publishing of this, uh, we've kind of dropped a little bit. We're in like the 4,000 range. We'll hover up, jump up to 2000. There's a little bit of volatility in there. Um, and on the Kindle side of things, we're number one in, in all of our categories. Um, my business categories are like e-commerce and web marketing. So we've, we've maintained that number one position, um, uh, for over six weeks. So that's great. That's a great sign that, that the book has longevity. And so, you know, um, one piece of advice that I'd leave here is that what's interesting is I've found that book buyers are more critical than high-end information, uh, product buyers, just the way they are people buy a Kindle book on Amazon for $6.99 and it's like they've got higher expectations than when they buy like a $6,000 training program that you might sell. It's just kind of the way it is. I don't know, you know why that is, but it's just, it's just the way people are. So I just be mindful of that. Um, you know, the other thing is um, that I, that I, the kind of lessons learned in launch, um, there's a temptation to, uh, there's a temptation to consider uh, planting reviews, right? They're sort of like, all right, um, should you put fake reviews in there to kind of get the ball rolling? And we didn't go that route. I said, you know what? I'd rather have fewer reviews and the reviews to be honest and just kind of let the chips fall where they are. Like we did our part. We wrote the best possible book that we could. And when I say we, you know, there's a team behind our book, publisher, editor, graphic designer, um, the interviewers that I work with talk about that process. And so we said, well, let's just let the chips fall where they fall. And it helps if you have people that you've worked with that are fans of yours that have gotten results from your work, because we reached out to people and said, Hey, when you get the book, you know, if you have time, it would mean the world to me to see your review on Amazon. And that's one thing that I learned is that you have to ask people to review. Now we never ask people to say something specific, but we ask people, if you enjoy the book, it would mean the world to me just to hear your review, to see your review on Amazon. And that spurred people on to share their review. And I think in my experience, the most important piece of your listing online, and you probably, I mean, you teach this, I'm like a nobody compared to you in this world. Like I, I have one book under my belt. You've got like a million. Um, so you can speak more to this than I can, but the reviews are like the key, right? Like your product description, your book description. Yeah. People read that back cover. Yeah. That's important. But like when I look up a book on Amazon, like my, my you know, someone says, Hey, you should check out this book. I type in the book and my eye just goes reviews. And what do I read? The most helpful right? Most helpful, positive, most helpful, negative, maybe a couple more and either I'm sold or I'm mm, no. Um, and so, you know, reviews are key. So you want to think about, so, so the question is, okay, that's great. How do you, is it, there's a secret that I'm about to share that's more than just creating a good product. 
And this is something, and by the way, like if you want a great example of this, check out how I presented the book. If you, if you buy a copy of the book on Amazon, read the introduction, you'll see how I do this in a way that I think is very effective. I tried to anticipate what objections people would have uh, before they bought the book. So I thought, why are people gonna say they didn't like the book? And so one thing that I anticipated is that there's some people who are gonna say, I don't give a crap about your personal story, Ryan. Just give me the facts. I just want the formula. I don't care you know, if you're the first person to go to college. I don't care if you grew up poor. I don't care how you, I don't care about any of that. So I anticipated that as an objection. And so in the introduction of the book, I talk about that. I say, hey, listen, if you're the type of person who just likes to cut to the chase, skip the first hundred pages of the book, read the how-to, and you might want to circle back. If you're the type of person who likes to understand someone's personal journey, you'll really like the first how. Now, here's how this played out in the reviews. People love that. People, it's funny, people just as vehemently argue both sides. There are people out there who say, Ryan, I am so glad that you shared that touching vulnerable letter you wrote to your mother when you were like at a real low point, almost depressed. That, that, that was the most impactful thing of the book. And then there are other people who said, first half of the book, don't waste your time with it, just jump to the methodology. And the one-star review, which is great, um, wrote, oh, Ryan, the book wasted my complete, completely wasted three hours of my life. Um, I, you know, the, the, reading your story was completely worthless. I never like, you know, uh, who yeah. cares about who you are, blah, blah, blah. And what's funny is that people descended on this person, like <laughs> saying, well, if you read the first page of the book, then you would have noticed that Ryan said, if you don't want to read his personal journey, just skip it. So there's a way that if you think about it, you can overcome these negative reviews that might uh, happen in the book itself. So you want to think about what are the gaps? What are people going to say? What are they going to say behind your back about your book? Address it head on. I have a friend who likes to say, uh, make the skeleton dance. So rather than keeping the, skeleton, the family skeleton in the closet, take it out of the closet for company to see and make it dance. So if you do that, then there's nothing that people can say, right? Because you're addressing it head on. And uh, so that was a little secret that I picked up along the way that's been really helpful, I think, in overcoming the uh, otherwise negative reviews that, that might have showed up. I love that. And it's funny, as you were telling that story, I was like, I like I know that that one star for sure probably said something like blabbed on and on about his personal story, like, and I quit at a hundred pages or like, cause that's what all those, that's the funny thing. It, it's very telling about their personality because they'll say, Oh, this guy just blabbed on and on about his story so much. I didn't care. Stop the book at 80 pages or whatever. Right. And then yeah. they leave a one star. And it's funny if they would have just stuck through a yep. little bit more, or if they would have read the first page. If they read the first page of the book, then they could have just <laughs> right to that. Yeah, so it's funny. And, and you can see there, if you check out the book on Amazon, you just type in ask on Amazon. It's super, it's the first one that pops up. It's a white cover, uh, uh, you know, just the red word ask. You can check out that one-star review. You can see exactly what the person wrote. And you can see how people descended on them, like I said, like vultures with, uh, you know, uh, a roadkill on the side of the road. It was, it was really pretty funny. Um, yeah. We, so, we, so, yeah, gotta, so the reviews are important. For sure. For sure. And we, we just got on one of our books we just put out. Um, it, it's kind of a tongue in cheek title, right? We said how to not suck at writing your first book <laughs> and, and grammatically correct. It's how not to suck. Right. And, and we knew that going in, but that was part of the, part of the, you know, shtick too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and also it's, we thought, Hey, we're writing a how to book, not a how not to book. Mm. So we're going to write it this way. And, and when you know it, like, I think even on launch day, got a one star that similar vein, like just by reading the title, I know that this book is worthless because it's a grammatical error or something. <laughs> you, know, it's like, it, it, you know, there will always be those people. So. And that's great because what happens is, um, you know, if you, if you do a good job of, of overcoming the legitimate gripes that someone might have, right? And if you say, listen, this book is probably, take a picture. This book is probably 100 pages longer than it needs to be. So if you are short on time and you're the type of person that likes to focus on the most important parts, skip to just chapters 3 and 17. That's it. That's all you need to read, right? Because so many books, isn't that an objection we all have? It's like you could have told me this. You could have, you know, instead of spending 200 pages telling me what's in this book, you could have told me in 20 pages, right? 
So confront that head on. If your story is the opposite, hey, I was really short on time and there's a second volume coming. I didn't have enough time to get everything I wanted to get in here, but I wanted to get it out here now because this is really time sensitive information. So this book is a little bit shorter than you might expect. Okay. And if you like it, let me know and that'll inspire me to write the second book faster. So what are you doing? You're almost inviting people to leave you a good review saying, I love it. I can't wait for the second one. Where otherwise, if you did not address that head on, people might say, oh my gosh, it was like the book was half written, right? So you can really address these things head on, but it really takes time to think through what they are. And the best thing that happens is if you address it like this and someone leaves you that crazy one-star review, they look like an idiot. Everyone's like, oh, it's just a crazy person. And yeah. that's the type of negative reviews that you get. Then everyone just discounts them and says, oh, this book must be really good. So there's a, you know, I've learned a lot going through this process and I'm sure you, you know, you know, these, these nuances much better than I do around how you can uh, encourage the type of review that you want to, um, that you want to get without breaking Amazon's terms of service, without, you know, incentivizing someone, paying someone to do a review or anything stupid like that. You know, if there's a way that you can do it in a way, uh, very artfully, um, with a little creativity. Now let's talk about monetization sure. and the back end to this book. Going into this book project, what were your plans? What's the back end and where did you want people to go and, and things to buy after the book? Yeah. So, you know, this is in the category of, you know, we did a good job. I think we can do, a, a, we could have done a better job, right? So there's always, you know, there's so many things. Like I wish we hit the times list. I wish we, wish we sold a few more copies to be able to make it to the times list. And if I could go back in history and back in time, um, I would have pushed a little bit harder. Um, I thought we pushed hard enough, but we didn't. So there are things that I, you know, wish we did differently. And so one of those things is maybe a little bit more clarity around exactly what it is that we wanted to uh, move people into next. And the reason why we didn't have that clarity is because we didn't really anticipate what kind of demands the book would create. We didn't know, we had a couple different things to monetize the book buyers, and we didn't really know what was gonna be the thing that got them most excited. And so what we did is we actually used the ask process itself within the book. And one of the things I talk about in the ask process is steering people into different directions based on what it is that they want and giving people options and letting people raise their hand and tell you what is it that they want you to sell them next? So in a very kind of meta way, we did this in the book. And so we had the gambit of things to move people into. So number one was a training course that goes into a little bit more detail uh, beyond the book. So we have a book, it's called Ask. I have a training program called Survey Funnel Formula, which is an online information course that teaches the methodology in more detail. So the difference there is their videos, their templates, their checklists. It's just more, more detail around the process for someone who needs that handholding. So that was option number one. So if you like the methodology but need more handholding, then check out our survey funnel course. Number two, if you get the methodology, but now all you need is the software to make it happen, you might enjoy checking out our survey funnel software. So that was our software backend. So for people who they get the process and they just need the technology to implement it, the software is a good fit. Third option is you get the process, but you want to be connected with other like-minded entrepreneurs who are implementing this process right now. We have a community and you, know, you and I are both part of the community with over a thousand business owners who pay a monthly fee to be part of this group where we are implementing this survey funnel process or the ask formula in their business. So that was the third option. If you want this community and see other examples and get ideas from other markets and other business owners, then that might be a good fit. And then last but not least, if you're in this category where you read this book, you get the process, but you are in a situation where you have more money than time and you'd rather just rather have the experts do this for you, then you might be interested in one of our done for you services. And that's for where our agency comes in where we implement the ask formula for clients um, for tens of thousands of dollars plus an ongoing retainer. So that's kind of the option if you're a big business owner or a CMO of a big company reading this and you might want to partner or work with us, that's the option. So we gave people a series of options uh, based on where they, uh, what was best for them. So we really followed the process that we advocate and teach, which is diagnose and prescribe. And the prescription is going to be different based on 
uh, who someone is. Now, the reason why I wish we did a better job with this is I had no, I had no way to really anticipate where were people going to go. Was the software going to be the thing? Was the agency going to be the thing? Was the information course going to be the thing? We really just didn't know. And knowing now what I know, we might have kind of done things a little bit differently. The other big takeaway that I learned, and this is very much a spectrum. There's no black or white right answer on this, but I got this advice and I would echo this, that we decided to be a little more conservative in how often we pushed our stuff in the book than uh, as a direct response marketer, I might've otherwise done. So for me, my, my intent is like, I want to mention a, a call to action, like at the end of every chapter, through, you know, peppered in paragraphs, you know, by the way, if you'd like to check out our survey funnel software, you should check it out at surveyfunnelsoftware.com like 10,000 times. And I got the advice that you got to lay off that book buyers, you know, remember we talk about book buyers are more sensitive to like, than like thousand dollar product buyers. They're really sensitive about this sort of thing. And so I mentioned the next steps at the beginning of the book. And what I focused on was the resources. So I focused on, there's some additional resources that we cannot fit in this book, videos, templates, examples, et cetera, bonus training, but you can get access to that as a verified reader. And we have a unique way that we verify someone's a reader by going to this special secret website. And the only way to get the website and the only way to know how to get in is to be a buyer of the book. So we did that. And that is a great way to get people into your world without directly selling them because they're getting something else for free. And then once they're there, then we can kind of move them into the conversation of kind of pushing our other, um, uh, our other products and services. So that was a piece of advice that was given to me and I'd pass that along. I think that was a smart, um, uh, a smart move to be a little bit more conservative than I otherwise would have, uh, would have done. Definitely. And now, was that the main way that you sent people over through the resources portion or were there any other call to actions in the book? That, went that was the main call to action uh, at the beginning of the book and in a few strategic places. And then where it made sense, we mentioned the software, mentioned the mastermind and mentioned the done for you services, but only a handful of times. I think um, one of the guys on my book team took note. I think we had 12 calls to action throughout the whole book. So a 200 page book, 12 calls to action, uh, like 12 like URL mentions, that's it. Um, which might, maybe that sounds like a lot, I don't know. And that includes at the end of the book, like where to go next. So we had a chapter at the end of the book and you can see this if you check it out, how we did this, uh, next steps. And the next steps I walk through, okay, so where do you go from here? You've got options. And then we had the four main options, the four main next steps that someone can take depending on where they are in their business. And what we do in that chapter is we help them Say, if you're in this situation, here's what might be the right next step for you. If you're in this situation, this might be the next step. In a perfect world, I would love to have just one thing, right? Here's the next step, do this. But because our book, uh, uh, um, you know, because the book is relevant to such a wide net of people, people who are just starting their first online business all the way to $100 million companies, it's difficult to have that one step. And so when I say opportunity for improvement, if I could, you know, if there's a way that we could be a little bit more focused, I would have loved to have been able to do that. Got it. That's great. Well, and to round out this interview, we'll get a few more things on monetization. We'll go a little bit more rapid fire here. Um, sure. First, I got to know what's the, uh, what's the unique way that you guys are getting people to verify they purchased the book? It's, uh, I mean, it's nothing that's like earth shattering, but it's um, uh, a specific word on a specific page of the book. Got it. So awesome. you can only, you only know, and we change it all the time. So, you know, if someone posts it online, um, it gets changed. So we, we change it on a regular basis. So you really do have to have a copy of the book to know how to get access. Um, so uh, are there ways to, to game it? Of course. But uh, because we change it all the time, if someone gave you, oh, hey, the word is Chandler, um, you know, next week we've changed it. And so that doesn't work anymore. So you have to go back to the book. So it's a great way to, you know, I've got the, the physical book right here. Um, you know, oh, what is it? Page 33 word, the third word on page 33. Okay, let me go back. What it does is it brings people back to the book constantly. Love that. Love that. Now, what was the biggest 
take that people took off the back end of the book? What was the biggest, was it the software? Was it the service, the mastermind? What, what did most people? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I'd say the, the least is probably the course, which is what I expected because the book and the course have some overlap. The, and the agency, I never, it wasn't intended that that would ever be the, the biggest, right? Cause that's kind of the, the top 5% or top 10% of the market. So I never expected that would be the biggest volume. So it's between the software and the mastermind, but we've done something really innovative where that anybody who buys the software also gets access to the mastermind. Anybody who buys the mastermind also gets access to the software. So in effect, they're the same offer, but it allows us to measure what is it that people care about. So they care about the software and, oh, by the way, you also get the mastermind. Oh, that's a really cool bonus. Or, oh, I want the mastermind. Oh, and I get the software too. Oh, even better. So it's a way for us to measure. So it's really only three offers, even though those two middle ones are, are uh, positioned differently. Um, and uh, so that middle one is definitely the, 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 camp, the leader. I love the way you did that. Um, this is a hilarious story on that. So my roommate or one of my roommates live in an entrepreneur house here. A yeah. bunch of entrepreneurs running online businesses. Um, one of my roommates, Caleb Hodges. So he runs marketing for the film. Yeah, he works with um, Dane uh, Maxwell on those guys. He works with Dane, right? Yeah. So yeah. They, you know, they use a survey funnel. Um, yep. and I think you gave Dane or him a shout out and yep. then they, they, you know, they got the software and all that. And he was, he started selling me. He's like, Oh yeah, I'm in this, this thing. I pay this amount. I'm like, Oh, I'm in this thing. I pay this amount. And it was literally, as you were explaining, I was like, wait a second. So how does that work? And we talked about it for like 10 minutes and we're like, Oh my gosh, that's brilliant. It's the same offer just broken into two different things. Just <laughs> he was on one side of the offer, I was on the other. Yeah, yeah, you buy A, get B for free. Buy B, get A for free. So effectively, <laughs> from a delivery, this is a great business lesson. I know this isn't the point of this, um, this interview, but it's a great business lesson because from a, a product delivery standpoint, we, my company, we only have to fulfill one thing. It's the same. The client is getting the same thing either way, but it allows us to reposition it. And so you can do this with anything, right? Say you sell five things, make one of those things, the product, the other four things, the bonuses, and just mix it up. And then one of the bonuses. So you have all these different front ends and the thing that someone really cares about might be one of five and the bonuses is what mm. puts them over the edge. So, um, I know that wasn't like the point of our conversation, but yeah, it's a, uh, um, a cool little thing. And so far so good. Love that. All right. Next up. So I know it's only been six weeks or so since the book's come out, um, but how much money would you say you've made off the back end of the book, excluding um, book, book royalties so far? Um, <laughs> well, book royalties is the smallest part for sure. Yeah. Um, I will say this. Uh, I have invested more money in the book than we have made back. And um, I say that because a book, in my opinion, is, is, is a great uh, exemplification of the long game. So if you write a book expecting to get a return, and, and it depends. I mean, you can write a book for nothing, right? But when you take into account the cost of uh, working with a publisher, um, working with uh, an editorial team, you know, interviewers, graphic design, all those costs, the marketing costs to get something off the ground, for me, it's a positioning thing. It's invest today so that this is gonna pay dividends for the rest of your life. If you think about it, being a number one national best-selling author is something that you will have for the rest of your life. So if you wanna look in accounting terms and amortize that, you can amortize that over the next 20 years of your career. 20 years from now, you'll be able to introduce yourself as Chandler Bolt, number one national best-selling author, right? You'll always have that. You'll always be able to leverage that and I've done a study with a, a friend slash mastermind partner of mine where we actually uh, did a survey, uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, we asked people, what was the single biggest, what, what was most important to you? And I forget exactly how we phrased it, but effectively what we did, and we did it in kind of like a, a unique way where we said, which person do you trust the most? And we had, uh, I won't get into the, um, the, the way we designed the experiment, but effectively what we did is we had uh, the same name, same face, uh, five different ways. And we didn't do it just all lined up. We did it to different populations and randomized the, um, the way we expose people to this. But we asked, you know, who do you trust the most? Chandler Bolt, PhD, 
Chandler Bolt, JD, Chandler Bolt, Dr. Chandler Bolt, Chandler Bolt, uh, number one best-selling author, and uh, the best-selling author one. So what that tells you is that if you think about it in those terms, if you think about what would it cost you in terms of an investment in your education to get a PhD? Hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? At least years of your life, <laughs> years of your life, right? And hundreds of thousands of dollars, I'm incorporating into that the, the amount of lost income that you'd, you'd be losing because the opportunity cost of being in school instead of you know, actually working, et cetera. So you think hundreds of thousands of dollars. So if you think that you can get something that has higher trust than PhD or doctor and that it's within your grasp, it is an investment. So as far as how much money we've made on the back end, it's impossible. I can look at how much money our business is making, but it's impossible to know how much of that is a direct result of becoming a number one best-selling author, how, of it, how much of it is because of people directly buying from the book itself. Um, you know, some people might click on a tracking link, but then other people, it's like, I saw your book and Barnes and Noble picked it up and I went online and, you know, so it's impossible to track that. But what I do know confidently is that we are getting an ROI. And that ROI will play out over time, which is what I fully expected, especially with our business model, which is one where we do recurring income every single month. And, um, you know, I, you know, would I do it again? Absolutely. Now, my wife, knowing how much I invested in the project might disagree with me, but uh, I would do it again. I personally think it's, uh, it's a worthwhile investment. In fact, I've already got my next two books uh, ready to go. Uh, Ask is part of a trilogy and I've got two more. And now that I know what I know, having gone through the process once, uh, second time around, we're not going to make, you know, the same mistakes that we made. So I'm pretty excited. That's what it's all about. I think is, is learning the process. And then once you do it and you learn it, you see all the, mis you can't see the mistakes you made if you don't do it. Right. Once you do it, you can go back and do it again and again and again. And like you were saying earlier, have that back end dialed where when or that back end dialed into where people, when they get pre-sold the book, they instantly have a course upsell or something like that, yeah. you know, yeah. even more so all the th all the things you learn there. Yeah, and I'll give you like a great example of like a super tactical stupid mistake that I didn't know about. Um, and you're going to probably say, "Oh my gosh, Ryan, how did you not know this?" Um, our book sold so well on Amazon that we blew through their stock. Like I mean, blew through it and they were just like could not reorder books fast enough. Now, that was a big problem because what ended up happening is a thousands of books that we ended up selling in our initial launch week didn't count in the way where the, the way bestseller uh, lists count mm. until weeks later when Amazon reordered and they actually shipped those books out, right? So that might've been the thing that cost us hitting the New York Times list. It was literally thousands of books between three and 5,000 books. So that is huge. Some people don't even sell 3,000 or five. We sold over 30,000 copies of the book. So the three to 5,000 books, that's a lot. I learned later that you can prevent this by signing up for what Amazon calls out of stock protection, where if your book goes out of stock, they will print it on demand. I did not know this at all. I feel like a, an idiot that I didn't know this. Ultimately, I'm, 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 I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. I'm disappointed that my team did not know this. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm responsible for either not hiring the right people, not choosing the right team, or not knowing this myself. So fine. Am I going to make that mistake the second time around? You better believe it. No way. No way. Yeah. <laughs> so that is a pro tip. Anyone listening to this right now, you don't know because Amazon, who knows how many copies of the book they might order. They might order a hundred. They might order a thousand. They might order 5,000 depending on how much, uh, how many pre-orders you have and how much they predict to sell. And once the snowball effect happens and word of mouth gets out there, if it's just explodes, it's, it's, I mean, you think it's a great thing, but it's actually kind of a negative thing because what happens is people buy the book. It says our book sold, sh showed out of stock on Amazon for like 10 days. Do you think that hurt our sales? Of course. People see the book and they're like, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait three to four weeks for shipping. I want my book tomorrow. I want prime. Um, so, you know, and it, it was preventable. And so that's a perfect example of, you know, rookie mistake that I'm an idiot for making. Um, so anyone listening to this, you will not make the same mistake. That's great. Now, Ryan, one, one last question, then we'll wrap things up. Sure. What was a ripple effect? Um, so something maybe you didn't expect to happen on the monetization side, mm. opportunities or 
ways that you've made money off the book that, that you wouldn't have expected, but that happened as a result of, of doing this book? Yeah, I think from a positioning standpoint, I've had uh, just in the last, you know, 48 hours, for example, um, two people invest in my uh, highest level $35,000 a year mastermind um, with, with people writing in virtually every single week to be part of this group. It's our, what we call our next level elite group uh, without ever having spoken to me. Literally sending in an email, having read the book, sending in an email to my customer support director, getting in contact with someone on my team and basically saying, I'm ready to go. And that only comes, uh, I didn't expect that to happen. I didn't expect that level of demand, trust. And again, it comes down to just pouring it out there on the page. Just, you know, the, the advice if I, to, if I were to give a sports analogy is if you leave it all on the field, people will recognize that and they will want to be part of what you're doing. And so people will be inspired by that. And if you have something worthwhile to say, that's my advice. Just leave it all on the field, leave it all on the page and things like that will happen. And so it's just for us, it's just the beginning. We're just six weeks out and um, I'm really excited. Um, people are already asking uh, when's the next book coming out, um, which has kind of put a little bit of uh, undue pressure because uh, I kind of want to ride this one at least for the rest of the year and, and enjoy it. Um, writing a book is a, is a lot of work and uh, it's a lot of fun. But uh, it, for me, at least, it, it uh, took a little bit longer than I expected. So I kind of want to enjoy Enjoy the rest of the year and uh, and see what happens next. As you should, as you should, because this the great thing about this book is this book will continue to make you money and continue to bring in clients like that for yeah. a really long time. And next time we bring you on, we'll be talking about how you just released the number one New York Times bestseller. I love it. Next book yes, and, and, and how much it's just blown blown the roof off of this thing. So Ryan, thanks so much for for coming on here, man. Before we run, yeah. how can people get in touch with you? or buy the book? Oh, it's a great, great question. So um, the best way to do that. So the book, as we mentioned, it's available. Um, it's available uh, uh, bookstores around the country. Um, you know, it's available. There are even some Walmarts and Targets that carry the book, um, Barnes and Noble, Amazon. However, uh, for now, um, and depending on when you're watching this, uh, uh, this will not be forever, but for now, if you go to askformula.com, so A-S-K, askformula.com, and you click on the link to get a physical copy of the book, if there is a, uh, anything on that page that says to enter a specific coupon code, find that coupon code. If not, just click on the link. And uh, we're shipping out, uh, until we run out of the stock that I have here in my physical office, but we're shipping out copies uh, totally for free um, all we ask is that you pay a small shipping and handling charge. And it's literally, uh, I only have a limited number of copies to do this. So I can't say like, it's going to be on such and such a date. It's actually till we, uh, till we run out of the copies that we have, we've got a, a few, uh, I think a few hundred copies left in, uh, our office here and we'll ship them out. So if you want to get a copy of the book, just pay a small shipping and handling charge. That's the best way to do it. Otherwise you can get the book on Amazon. Uh, Kindle is six ninety nine. The physical copy is twelve bucks or whatever, uh, whatever it is on Amazon. Uh, so it's really not that massive of an investment. And that's really the best way I think to get into my world and to learn a little bit more about uh, the book and kind of seeing some of the things that we talked about in action. And anyone who's interested, I'd be honored for you to check it out. So that's the best next step, my man. Absolutely awesome, Ryan. Thanks so much for coming on talking about the book, guys. If you haven't checked out the book check it out. Uh, highly recommend it. And thanks again, man. Awesome, man. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right. See you later. Take it easy. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of the Self-Publishing School Podcast. I know there's so many places that you can be spending your time. There's other podcasts that you could be listening to, YouTube channels that you could be watching. Uh, so thank you so much. It means the world. Now, I want you to do three things right now if you found this episode all right, number one, I don't know if you know this, but we've got a YouTube channel. It's a companion channel to this podcast. All the video versions of the episode are on the YouTube channel. So number one, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Number two, if you're listening to this podcast, wherever, whether this is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, number two, I want you to subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss a future episode. Uh, and then number three, this is probably the most important 
uh, leave a review on the podcast. All right, reviews are super important and help the podcast get discovered by other people. Uh, so number three, leave a review on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode. If you're on the fence about scheduling a publishing consultation call with my team, maybe you're not quite ready uh, for that, I've got some free training that I think will be really helpful for you. All right, all you have to do is go to register to sign up. Go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. When you do, you're also going to get a free digital copy of my new book, Published. And on that training, you're going to learn the next step, so how to implement with your book. So how to write, how to publish, how to launch successfully. So go to register right now at selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. I'll see you there.